The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome to this special edition of the Sox Machine Podcast as the Major League Baseball draft is still ongoing as we record this episode. But the Chicago White Sox used their first round pick on Ole Miss shortstop, Jacob Gonzalez, a three-year starter, a national freshman of the year, and part of the 2022 National Championship squad. So what else should White Sox fans know about the first-round pick? Well, join us is the managing editor of RebelsGrove.com, part of the Rivals Network. It's Chase Parham. And Chase, hotty toddy, thanks for joining us on the Sox Machine Podcast. Yeah, appreciate it, Josh. Love to uh, talk to you today. What should White Sox fans know about Jacob Gonzalez? I, I could go on for a while, but the biggest thing is I think he was built for professional baseball. He was obviously a great college baseball player, but Jacob – you know, you, we, we can talk about tools. We, we'll, we'll get into what he actually does on the field. But his temperament is so set for professional baseball. It wasn't a detriment in college by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, no matter what happened, positively, negatively, good or bad, he was incredibly even keel. He's a kid who does not show a ton of emotion at all. He just shows up at the park. He does his job. And I know it sounds cliche, but for a guy who has had the accolades that he has, you're talking, as you mentioned in the opening, Jacob Gonzalez was the division, the D1 baseball freshman of the year in 2021 on a really good Ole Miss team that was one game away from the College World Series. He's been the starting shortstop for three seasons inside the SEC. He's hit since he showed up on campus. And you never saw him doing anything outside of his job on the field. You know, when they won the national title in 2022, they clinch it and they're doing the dog pile. And Jacob had had a pretty rough College World Series. He'd been pretty bad for the majority of it. He gets to the championship series against Oklahoma in game two, Cade Horton, the first-round pick of the Cubs last year, he's the starter for the Sooners in game one. Or, sorry, in game two that Ole Miss clinched it. Jacob hits a sixth-inning home run that puts them up one nothing. He gets a hit in the eighth inning that kind of sparks the rally when Ole Miss goes ahead and wins the title. And all he does is kind of give a fist pump when they win. He just sort of takes two steps in and gives this fist pump. And I was I was laughing with Mike Clement, who's one of Ole Miss's assistants afterwards, and he said that's the same thing that if you or me was doing somersaults down the outfield <laughs> line when the, when the game ended. It's just who he is. But that that translated so much to his game because it kept him slump-proof in a way. 
He didn't get into his own head about stats or anything else or accolades. He was able to adjust his game over the three years. He was a different player at the end than he was at the beginning. So, you know, I think Jacob Gonzalez is a guy who's going to take instruction very well. He's going to take development very well. I mean, there's there's, there's some things that needs to get better. He, he He's going to do those things at, at a very good clip to the best of his ability. And I think, you know, the dog days of June, July, and August when he does get up with the White Sox, it's, it's not going to affect him. I think he is just the right guy to not get into so many kind of ups and downs and let that affect him. He's going to show up every day and be the same way. And I think that's – I've covered college baseball for a really long time, and you don't see that very often in these elite players, and he really sticks out from a temperament standpoint for me. So back to his freshman year in which D1 Baseball named him freshman of the year, and he had a huge year. He had 355, a 443 on base percentage, slugged 561 with 12 homers and 55 RBIs as a freshman in the SEC. And he had 93 hits. <laughs> All of these numbers jump off the page. Did Gonzalez have heavy expectations when he walked on the Oxford campus? Probably not to that level. I mean, he was very highly regarded. He was ranked somewhere in the 130s by perfect game coming out of high school. And he's he was a guy that was a bit of a gift for Ole Miss. So he was probably headed to Tennessee prior to Dave Serrano being fired from the Volunteers back when he was being recruited. And when Dave Serrano left Tennessee, it put Gonzalez up in, up in the air a little bit. He wasn't committed to Tennessee, but he was just sort of headed that way. And he, he started asking around, and I think even Dave said, hey, why don't you check out Ole Miss? He was friends with Carl Lafferty, Ole Miss's recruiting coordinator, knew those guys, knew that Ole Miss had had a really good history of developing shortstops of having guys who can come in as freshmen and play shortstop. You look back through it and, you know, Greg Kessinger was an Ole Miss guy who's now with the Astros that just got up this year. Zach Cozart's an Ole Miss shortstop. Errol Robinson was a three-year starter at shortstop. He's in AAA right now in Memphis. And there was sort of the right path for if Gonzalez could hit the expectations, he could play for three years, Ole Miss would take care of him and he can move forward. So the coaching community sort of pushed him to Ole Miss in a way in that regard. And he came in in a very talented class. And it just jumped out immediately from the fall. I mean, you know, in, in college baseball, for any of your listeners who aren't aware, you have about a five, six-week period in college baseball in the fall where you enter squad and you play yourself. And then you have two games against some other team, whoever that is, and just sort of a practice. And from day one, it's a lot like spring training, but no matter what the pitchers were doing, no matter what was going on, Jacob Gonzalez hit. And I think, you know, I talked to maybe it was Mike Bianco, the head coach for Ole Miss, and he said it took about two weeks to realize that even as a true freshman he was going to be your starting shortstop um and he was gonna be able to handle that because he's a big kid he's 6'2 he's you know, a little over 6'2 it's not your necessarily prototypical shortstop frame especially coming in as a freshman because you didn't know what kind of weight he would add you don't know if he'd have to move over to third base you didn't know what that potentially could look like so the expectations came once he got on campus it wasn't a ton or any more different than anyone else when they come in with some some high accolades but the way he hit you were just sort of waiting on that transition because you know, a lot of times they hit in the fall and that doesn't always translate because in the fall, again, it's all like spring training. Pitchers are working on a lot of different things. They're not exactly trying to get you out. They're trying to work on their own game for later on. And then when he, when they got there and February showed up, he could really hit the fastball as a freshman. And, and you can lead me into this a little more, but he, he could really hit the fastball. And the college season is short enough that it takes a little while for the pitchers to figure out what you can't hit. And by the time that that sort of happened and Gonzalez was going to have to adjust again, well, he had all the confidence in the world. He was really hitting. He was in the middle of an offensive order that was really hitting the baseball from a team standpoint. They could protect him in the lineup, and it just sort of took off. And I thought I thought that early amount of success, given what I said a minute ago about his demeanor, that even elevated him even more because he didn't have to prove to himself that he could hit. He could hit immediately and then just sort of kind of stay on that path. 
you mentioned 2022, a magical year for Ole Miss. Did Gonzalez always have that flair, the dramatic? Like, I know that he struggled during the College World Series, but to have that type of game in the clincher, going three for four with a home run and a couple of ribbies, like, was he always that kind of guy that when Ole Miss had a must-win situation, Gonzalez delivered? He was a guy who would do it without necessarily having to do it, if that made sense. I don't know that he would, you know, he was, it's what's interesting about that 2022 season, because for the really bit of background here, Ole Miss was number one in the country in March. Uh, They were the best team in the nation starting the year. And then they hit a really bad stretch. Ole Miss barely got into the tournament. They were the very last at large into the field. And offensively as a whole, they were bad during that stretch. They went 14 and 16 in the SEC. They lost their first game in the SEC tournament. Um, It was a skin and teeth thing. And Gonzalez sort of struggled during that time period as well. He, uh, you know, the, the whole offense sort of got down. But the team leaders of that team were Tim Elko, who's with the White Sox, Kevin Graham, who was incredibly good, had a runners and scoring percentage average of over 400 in his career at Ole Miss. Those were sort of the leaders. But what that what that allowed to happen was you couldn't pitch around them because of Gonzalez. It just made Gonzalez better because he was constantly getting pitches. So I don't know if it was the flair for dramatic. If he was always going to be that guy to get the big hit. But what he was going to do was give you the best at bat. You look at what Jacob did this season. He had more walks than strikeouts. His his K percentage is pretty low. His walk percentage is pretty high. He just gave you professional at bat after professional at bat over and over and over again in whatever that looked like. You know, the only time that I thought he really struggled for an extended period, and it was during that 2022 season because his BABIP in in, in 2022 was 247. Um, And you can go, hey, you're really unlucky. And, And you are to a point. But I tell you what happened. He got very disgruntled by the shift. He really struggled with the shift. He found himself almost hitting into it more than he normally would. I think it got into his head mentally. Um, now, he still hit 18 hmm. home runs. Um, so he had a lot of power. He did a lot of stuff from that standpoint. But I think it was the one major adjustment that hit him during the course of his college career was, hey, quit looking at where the players are. Quit hitting into the shift. Quit thinking about the shift. Just hit to all fields because he's a pretty good off-field hitter. He didn't have a ton of power the other way. But he can hit to all fields pretty effectively. And I thought there was a period of time last season when the team was struggling, when nothing was kind of going right, where he abandoned some of that and he got kind of pull heavy back into the shift. And I think it was more mental than anything else. Well, that's interesting because obviously in Major League Baseball, the shift has been banned. So maybe Jacob Gonzalez will be able to benefit being in the minor leagues. We may see more hits from him, a higher bab up that we saw in college. That's a really interesting point, Chase. Offensively, you mentioned the pull heavy and the film that I have watched of Jacob Gonzalez, when you are seeing that type of home run and getting the questions asked over the last 24 hours, does Jacob Gonzalez always pull home runs? And a lot of people will say, well, that's a negative thing. Not for White Sox fans like the White Sox hitters need to pull the ball more in the air. Is that the comfort spot for Jacob Gonzalez is pulling the ball in the air? Yes, his power is to the pull side. There's no doubt about that. He, you know, probably in a way that he needs to get back to 2022 a little bit in that way, because, you know, his home runs fell to 10 this year. His line drive percentage went way up, um, mm-hmm. but and his pop, his pop-up percentage went down. So he was having more effective at-bats. He was hitting the ball solidly. But I thought that he got away from some of the lift that he had there as a sophomore in 2022. When, when, when he hit 18, he did all those different things. But, yeah, he absolutely is pull heavy. Um, he he sprays the ball to all fields, but when he gets it inside 
when he gets it where he can pull it, the 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 answer is he's going to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. He's going to try to hit it down the line. He's going to he's going to favor that way. Um, his biggest thing is, hey, make sure you still hit the all fields. Don't try to pull the outside pitch. There's some just young things like anybody was. It's very, you know, again, I mean, it's very textbook stuff. But that's that's where he would get into trouble was he would be trying to use that power. He'd be trying to look for that certain way to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And he would end up rolling over or popping up things because he's, it's too far away from him. It's not a pitch to pull, but no, that's, it's your typical left-handed swing from that standpoint. He's looking for something middle end that he can absolutely pull and drive out of the ballpark. A lot has been made about speed, maybe the lack of speed for Mm -hmm. Jake Gonzalez. Was this a concern when watching him three years in Oxford? Like, where did you notice that maybe he's not as fleet as foot as some of the other shortstops or other players, especially in the SEC? You're going to notice it on the basis. Um, he's a, he's a good base runner. He's not a great base runner. His his instincts make him play a little faster than he is on the bases. But you're you know it's not going to look like your normal your normal really twitchy athletic middle infielder that can really run in that way. And I, I think that was one of the reasons why nobody was sure exactly where he would go. You knew that the the bat could play. You knew that for the most part, and you know, we'll get into it as you talk, the, the glove could do some things at shortstop, and he made a lot of plays on the field. But the speed is definitely his biggest negative. I mean, there's no doubt about that. When you put him in a combine setting where if he's just running 60s and doing all these things, he he looks like a third baseman. He doesn't look like a shortstop in that way from doing those things. So you, you're going to notice on the bases. You're going to notice it getting down the line. But from a defensive standpoint, I, I've watched some good shortstops across the SEC for a long time, and he he plays fast enough. You don't notice it from a range standpoint. His his first step is really good. His instincts are really good. He's long. I think it's one thing too that you know maybe he's not the fastest guy in the world, but they're over six foot six two. He uses his length really well, um, and he uses really good body control. He can get his body back in position to make throws where the normal shortstop might can get there, but then he's off. He's kind of off foot and he's off balance and he can't come back across. Gonzalez does a really good job of fundamentally catching the ball in the right place where if he can get to it, he's probably going to do a pretty good job of making a throw on it. Yeah, I'm glad you bring those points up because that's the thing that jumped off watching film, especially if you pop in the film of earlier this season when Maryland visited Ole Miss in non-conference play because Matt Shaw, who is taking two picks ahead of Jacob Gonzalez, was the shortstop for Maryland. And I put that in quotation marks for the podcast listeners because I wrote about this at SoxMachine.com. That was the series that definitively told me Matt Shaw is not a shortstop professionally moving <laughs> forward because you had Jacob Zales for Ole Miss and you could tell it's night and day difference defensively. I think what really impressed me the most, Chase, was Jacob's ability to anticipate. And I'm noticing this with shortstops as far as covering on the prep scene when they come through the national showcases through Chicago and watching a lot of college baseball what translates from the prep at college fields professionally. And it is that anticipation. It is being in the right position, understanding maybe with pitch calm now, understanding what kind of pitch that your pitchers are going to be throwing and getting yourself into the best position possible. Athletic shortstops mainly will play in the same place because they lean so much on their athleticism to get to the ball. And even though Jacob Zalas might not be fleet of foot and may not be as athletic as other shortstops, I was really impressed watching him in 2022 and in 2023, his ability to anticipate what is coming to him defensively. Is this something that you speak with coaches that he consistently worked on? Like, where does this come from? This level of instincts. 
it's 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 innate it's natural in a lot of ways i i don't think you know you can get better at it but to the level that we're talking about i don't think that's coachable i think you either kind of have that ability or you don't to some extent and he's always had that for jacob it was almost about slowing down his biggest coach method at shortstop was hey you've got all the ability in the world you've got the natural instinct you're going to get to the ball and when you get there, you've got more time than you think you do. A lot of times mm-hmm. when Jacob has made errors over the course of his career, and he really cut those down here during his junior season, is routine plays when he had way too much time. And then second, misevaluating the amount of time he had and he makes some wild throw or he throws it in the dugout because he's thinking, I've got to rush, I've got to rush, I've got to rush, when he didn't have to. He could have settled in. So I think he was the, the goal was to get out of his own head defensively. And I think that shored him up. That did a lot of things because he told me in the preseason, we, we I wrote a story about this probably back in February, and he said that part of his goal was to just throw the ball over there as hard as he could. And I know that kind of sounds dumb, but it was taking the mental part out of it where he thought, okay, let me just do this or whatever. And it's almost like a pitcher who just throws it over the third first baseman's head too often. He said, let me just naturally play. Let me take my time because by throwing – it that hard he also was able to give himself another half beat he could set himself he could take a breath and then just put the ball into the first baseman's chest at that point and it really really did benefit him because Jacob for the first two seasons he would make the great play I mean you can put a highlight reel together of the balls he got to the way he went in the hole the way he threw out guys across the diamond but he would really screw up the throw on the routine play. He would kind of lose concentration and the ball would slip under his glove or he'd make the catch and he'd take one more, you know, one, one too many hops and he would throw it past the first baseman or make a poor throw. So for Jacob, it was, it was really about slowing down. It wasn't about getting somewhere or anticipation. It was about, Hey, just trust your ability, trust the athletic ability that you have. And when you do that, you're going to be okay. And I thought that toward the second half of the year and, in a year where it would have been really easy, Ole Miss struggled, had their worst season in 25 years in 2023, coming off the national title for a multitude of reasons that don't matter to White Sox fans. Um, he still showed up, and he really kept improving. I thought I thought it said something about his his character in a way. Um, really, Ole Miss's three guys are going to be the actually the only three players who've been drafted off this team as we're talking right now. Is they still showed up and really participated despite. Their personal situations, they're going to be drafted high. They're going to get money. They're going to go play pro baseball. And the team was just in the tank. Gonzalez was kind of at the head of that. I kept seeing improvement for him, and he kept putting in bats and defensive things together, even with the team that was way under 500 inside the SEC. So he he really grew up, I thought, defensively and just sort of on taking that coaching and development that I mentioned over the last year or so. Well, Ole Miss legend Tim Elko, part of the White Sox now with the Winston-Salem Dash in high A, Uh, On social media, he was very excited to have his former teammate back. How was Gonzalez received by the Ole Miss clubhouse and coaching staff? Is Gonzalez someone that could command a clubhouse? Because this has been a sore spot for the White Sox is finding clubhouse leaders. Uh, No, Uh, uh, that that, that would be a negative project of Gonzalez. And I mean this in the most positive way. I I do not mean this in in a critical way. He doesn't talk much. Um, He's very much a play first guy. He's going to go about his business. The two things with Jacob Gonzalez is he's never going to lead a huddle and he's never going to get in trouble. So that's what you know. He's going to show up. He's not going to show up in the arrest report. He's going to do nothing off the field that gets you in any sort of negative turmoil whatsoever. But no, he's not going to command your locker room. He's not going to take over the clubhouse from an emotional way, from a vocal way whatsoever. He's going to blend in. He's going to go about his business and he's going to do things the right way. Um, You know, that was it was somewhat of the running joke with us for a long time because he was from a pro prospect standpoint, he was the best player on the team. And there's not really a doubt about that. I don't think we interviewed him once a month 
because he wasn't going to answer. He wasn't going to say much. He wasn't going to give you a lot. Um, I ended up writing a story in Omaha last season about everybody discussing the fact that he doesn't talk and the fact that he just goes about his day and nobody really knows anything about him. They know he's from California and they know he's really good. They know all these things and he's cool, but he just, he just doesn't say much. So no, that's, that's not going to be what you're getting from Jacob. You're going to get all the positives that come with him being low key, but you're also going to, going to get the negatives from the fact that he's low key as well. Well, that was the white Sox first round pick. And right before chase and I recorded to, peel back the curtain for our listeners and for those watching on YouTube. The White Sox drafted old Miss catcher Calvin Harris in the fourth round. Man, I should have just made a trip down to Oxford this spring if I knew this was going to be happening. White Sox desperately need catching help, Chase. Desperately. And poor Calvin. No one's trying to put pressure on him, but there's a lot of hope now on Calvin Harris to develop because that's how bad the catching situation is for the White Sox, not only in the major league level, but throughout the minor league level as well. What should White Sox fans know about Calvin Harris? He's had an interesting career. So Calvin, uh, he came in from, from Iowa as one of the top catchers in the country. Um, he came in behind Hayden Dunhurst, who was a, a draft pick by the Royals last year, a really good defensive catcher. And he sat behind him for two seasons. Calvin was at the only state, Iowa was the only state that never stopped uh, high school baseball during the pandemic in 2020. They played their season. Well, toward the end of that, he ended up uh, tearing his UCL. He had to have Tommy John. So Calvin was hurt throughout the fall. He came back uh, in his freshman season at Ole Miss. He couldn't throw, but he could hit. So he did a little DHing. He did a little first base. He had a game-winning home run against Auburn. He, he had some highlights. And then, for year two, he became this plug-and-play guy that just hit. He doesn't wear batting gloves. He's kind of an old-school guy. Fans are going to like him from that standpoint. He's, he's, he's a dirtbag in the best ways possible. Um, and he played some corner outfield. He was the Ole Miss's right fielder when they won the national title in 2022. He was part of the back-to-back-to-back uh, -to -back -to -back home runs that Ole Miss hit against Oklahoma in the championship series. It was the first time that had happened in the College World Series since 1998 um, when LSU did it. He can really, really hit. He's an offensive catcher. He's a guy that's going to be able to, like we said, he's got some, he's got some sneaky power, but he's also going to hit the ball to all fields, and he's going to really hit the ball in the gap. He's a big gap guy. Um, he's going to get the ball on the ground in the gaps. He can run pretty well. He's very athletic for a catcher, and the arm has turned into being okay. Um, it's it, it's not going to be elite, but it's more than serviceable. It's above average. I think even at the, at the pro level, it, it, it plays without a problem. Um, so I think he does give a chance there. You know, it was, a, it was a bad college catcher class, but I do think he's the second best college catcher behind Kyle Till of Virginia as far as what's available in the draft. Um, the one thing for, for Calvin, and this is a glitch that mentally he is going to have to get better at. Ole Miss has worked on him. Ole Miss has three catchers on the staff. They've had a lot of successful catchers over the time. But he starts wandering back in the catcher's box a little bit, and it's affected receiving. It's affected, affected throwing because, obviously, the more distance – the more time, all those sort of things. And they've really had to get him up and get him up in the box. And he's a pretty good receiver when he does that. He came in as an elite defensive specialist. That was sort of what Ole Miss thought they were getting with him. And then it turned into him being a better hitter than they anticipated once he got into his career a little bit. But I think that is something that will take a little time. And you hope that it just clicks for him because it's all right there. He's, he's, a, he's, he's a very good athlete, a very good catcher, a very good hitter. But he absolutely can wander back. And when he wanders back, it affects receiving, it affects throwing. It really gets him 
out of form with a lot of things. So there's going to be that developmental tick that's going to have to be repaired uh, as he gets started. Well, that's really good to know and something to pay attention to when Calvin Harris does join the Chicago White Sox farm system. This has been fantastic stuff, Chase. Thank you so much for joining us. You could join, you could follow Chase on Twitter. He's at Chase Parham. Catch up on all the Ole Miss athletic news at rebelsgrove.com or at olemiss.rivals.com. Chase, again, absolute pleasure. If this trend keeps going, if the White Sox are going to draft Ole Miss players every single year, I'm sure we'll talk to you again next year during the MLB draft. But thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, Josh. Thank you. And that will do it for this special edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our episodes into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. We're also on Instagram and threads, since that's a thing now, at Sox Machine and at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can get more by signing up at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content and free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, you're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Listening.